Gurur Brahma, Gurur Vishnu, Gururevo Maheshwara, Guru Shakshat Parabrahma, Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha. I bow to my Guru as Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. I bow to him as you. I bow to him in myself. For his consciousness is everywhere. I would like you to understand what he came to bring to the world, which is that that divine consciousness is your true consciousness. You are not what you think you are when you look in the mirror. You are not anything but the immortal Atman, the immortal truth. I would like to read today from Conversations with Yogananda, which is, I have to say, it's a wonderful book. This is saying, or conversation number 100. People in groups tend to develop a special in vocabulary, almost a jargon. The words can be used almost mindlessly, like waving a flag absent-mindedly. The Master gave us the following example of that tendencies, that tendency. A fundamentalist Christian, he said, once announced to me fervently, you must be saved by the blood. This is something you hear in Christianity. Produce a quart, I challenged her. She was so astonished. How could you respond to this literal demand? The fact is she had no clear idea what she was talking about. She had been merely quoting a phrase repeated mindlessly by other dogmatic so-called believers. This is the truth in every religion, that people tend to uh, sort of spout the scriptures without really knowing what they mean. Do you know what you mean when you say Om? You've said it how many times? I'll tell you what it really means. It means that vibration of God by means of which God manifested the entire universe. It isn't just a word. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Haridnam, Haridnam, Kevalam, only by saying God's name will you be able to find him. Well, I know Prabhupada Swami Bhaktivedanta thought that that was literally true. And if you just repeat, Hare Ram, Hare Krishna, that you will find salvation. Well, he found that that isn't so. At the end of his life, he said to Jim, to uh, uh, oh, a famous, oh, Allen Ginsberg, yes. Um, he said to him, where have I gone wrong? The reason is that he thought that this was literally true. It doesn't mean that. Really what means what is meant by chanting God's name is not with your mouth. It means if you're chanting with every atom of your being, these are the stages of development toward God. That first of all, you hear Om. Then you become somewhat absorbed in it. Then you lose yourself in it. And that's the state of dhyana. Then you expand with it. And that's the state of sabhikalpa samadhi. Then you go into Om Samadhi. Yeah, that's complete sabhikalpa samadhi. And then you bring that state down and you discover that this body is made of Om. But that's not even all of it. Then you have to discover that Christ consciousness, that kutasta chaitanya, which is in every atom of your body. And you see that your body is not only just vibrating with Om, but behind, at the center of every atom, there is that still, 
consciousness, which is the reflection of the spirit beyond creation. And when you see that, then you see it, first of all, in your whole body, and gradually expand into the Christ consciousness or Chaitanya all over creation. That's why he's called Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That is the true Chaitanya. When you can bring that down into your body, out of your samadhi, then you have achieved that state of oneness from which you cannot fall. But it takes a long time. Don't let words do it. Words alone don't mean anything. Uh, how many people, one time, my guru told a story about a, a woman who loved Hindu teachings and was very much a follower of my guru and other great swamis and so on that had come from India. And uh, my, um, she invited a group of Bengali students to her house. And they, they were not devotees at all, but somehow she thought, well, anybody from India must be a great devotee. Well, she asked one of them to say the grace before a meal. And here he was speaking in Bengali. My, my guru understood him, but she didn't. And he was saying that this woman has asked me to say a prayer, and I don't have a prayer in my heart. But anyway, I, I, she's getting more and more inspired by this prayer of mine, and I just hope she gets baptized in the soup. Om. <laughs> and she, she said, oh, that was the most inspiring prayer I ever heard. And they, they started to laugh, and she said, what is it? And well, we just thought of a funny joke. <laughs> well, the Master was saying that also, to re repeating that story to tell us that words are not it. And just say, Hari Om, and then that's it. No, you have to have, it's not enough to say it with your tongue. You can't say the name of God. The name of God will free you, yes. But the name of God is not Krishna or Ram or Muhammad or Allah or anything. The name of God is that infinite vibration. When you hear that, that is true Om. When you say Om, that's not Om. Om you repeat in deep meditation, closing your ears and listening inside the right ear and by repeating Om mentally, Bit by bit, you're able to hear that sound inside. As you go deeper still, you begin to feel it taking over your whole body. This is Om. And the outward sound, yes, it's a powerful mantra. But mantra won't get you to God. That's why Buddha kept telling people, don't, don't go by just Karmakand, all the mantras and rituals and yagyas and all of that. That's not going to give you freedom. It might succeed in giving you Wealth, it might succeed in giving you a success or triumph over your enemies, worldly goals, but it will not give you what your soul really wants. Don't be satisfied with good karma. Yes, with good karma you can even live in heaven for many, many lifetimes. But I told you that story a few days ago about that saint who uh, a, a, a deva came down and said you're ready to go to heaven even in your physical body, meaning without losing contact with your physical body, consciousness of it. And he asked the uh, advantages of living in heaven, and then he asked the disadvantages. And when the uh, deva told him the disadvantages, which were that you cannot advance spiritually until you're much higher advanced. And there comes this period toward the end when, like, in autumn, the leaves begin falling, and turning brown, so your pleasures in that world begin to diminish because your, your subconscious desires are being 
reawakened and you have to be reborn in this body again. And he said, but isn't there anything higher than that? And the Deva said, yes, there's another place, a lightless light, a darkless dark. Beyond that, we don't know what that is like. And the saint said, and then the Deva said, but to reach that state, you have to be in a physical body. And the saint said, well, thank you very much, but the disadvantages to heaven that you have outlined to me are so colossal, I can't imagine anyone in his right mind wanting to go only to heaven. And so he remained in his physical body. He rejected that great blessing of going to heaven. And he said, I want to stay here and meditate. And he did, and finally attained that state of union with God. That's what it's all about. Don't be satisfied with brief blessings because every good karma is wasted in the end. I don't want to say wasted, but it is ended in the end. And then where are you? There was a story I heard when I went to the temple of uh, Taranga Swami in Varanasi. And this uh, Swami was telling us that there's an image of the deity in his room and in his little temple. And a disciple of his, of Tarananga's, was sitting and talking with him. And he kept saying, well, please, Swamiji, let me have darshan of God. Let me see the deity. And just at that moment, that same deity walked into the room. This may seem crazy to you people. It doesn't at all to me. I've seen so many things. These things can really happen. And this idol, this image, sat and talked to him for a while. And the man felt so blessed and so uplifted. And then she got up and walked back. And Thailanga Swami looked at him and he said, And now what have you got? You see, how many people have I seen in this country talking about this saint can do this and that saint can do that and all the wonders and so on that the saints produce? What is it? What does it do? What changes your heart? That's what Buddha was talking, and he was perfectly right. We must get to that point where we become transformed. We have to do it. Don't talk about what the gods can do for you. He was not an atheist, but he was telling people that stop depending on God to do it. You've got to do it. Make that effort, and that takes a lot of effort. It isn't to just every Tom, Dick, and Harry that God will come just because he's uh, called Hare Krishna once or twice. God will come to you when your heart is completely clean. When you have meditated and served and given yourself and served the Guru and invited the Gurus to the Bible, you know the most important passage in the Christian Bible that my Guru often quoted, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Not the Guru's blessings, miracles, speeches even, some gurus are monis, they don't speak at all. But if you, do, if you receive their vibrations, their power in yourself, you will see yourself changing. This is what I have seen with my own eyes. You must change yourself by becoming completely open. God, yes, and God through his instruments. And when you have an opportunity to visit saints, fine. But don't go to those saints who try to say this one's wrong and that one's right. Don't go to sectarian saints. They're saintlets, you might say. Real saints always see the God in all. And you know, this is one thing I used to love when I was in India many years ago. 
The Christian missionaries were outraged to see me in Geru. But Hindu, I mean Indian Christians, they were very pleased to see me in Geru because they understood that the real goal is God. It's not a church, it's not a sect, it's not a one particular form. When uh, Earl Stanley Gardner, no, no, that's not the right name, Stan, Stanley, I forget his name, he was a very famous evangelist. Earl Stanley Gardner wrote quite a different kind of book uh, about Perry Mason. Anyway, um, Stanley Jones, I think it was, he was lecturing in Benares, Varanasi, and uh, this man in the front row was getting more and more restless, and finally the man couldn't resist it any longer. He went up in front of the audience and put a tilak on his forehead. He said, now you're a Hindu, I can listen to you speak about Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, this kind of sectarianism, I appreciate that, that, that uh, he could at least feel that now he can listen about Jesus Christ, because Jesus is one with God, Krishna is one with God. Um, all great masters are one with God and never, never think that one is greater than another because it doesn't happen. Once you achieve God, what else is there to go? Where else is there to go? You've achieved oneness with the only self there is. So don't think that Krishna or Babaji or Lahiri Mahashoy or Yogananda or Jesus Christ or any of them are greater than what you have to become because it's your duty to reach that state. It's your destiny, I should say, and that's what makes it your duty. You've been born into this world to wander as long as you like. No one's going to tell you to do anything differently. But sooner or later, you've got to come to that point where you see that I'm not getting what I wanted. What I really want is happiness, and I'm not finding it. And I myself, I remember, oh, how long I tried to find what the truth. I wanted the truth. I thought I'd find it through astronomy. I thought, I thought I'd try to, I'd find it through science, through politics, through poetry, through music, through so many different channels that came naturally to me in a way. But I found that none of it was giving it to me. And then I came to understand what am I really looking for? Joy. All these things that I'm trying to do are really only to make me happy. And my goal in life has to be to find happiness. And I remember the mother of a friend of mine having great... She disapproved of me entirely because I wanted to find happiness. Well, that's what it's all about. And once you find that happiness, it doesn't make you uh, selfish. It's not that having God's joy, you sit in a corner and giggle and hug yourself. That's ridiculous. When you find God, you want others. You remember how you have suffered. You want to alleviate that suffering. That suffering, the nature of joy is to expand. The more joy you have, the more you want to share it with other people. I, uh, I think that's a natural thing, that when you have joy, then you look at others and you think, how can I help them? It's, it's, not, it's not natural and uh, it isn't the right thing not to want to share. You think of those yogis in the Himalayas who seem to be living alone and for themselves. Don't you believe it? If they're true yogis, they're sending out with great compassion waves of blessing to all mankind. If it were not for them, this world would have fallen apart years ago. Those Himalayas and the great yogis in the Himalayas, and even if they've ever speak to anybody, they're the greatest source of blessing that you can find. 
I remember landing in India many years ago. It was late at night. I was dressed as a Westerner. Everybody in the, in the bus with me was Western. It was dark outside and I couldn't see anything. There was no visual impression to tell me I am now in India. You know, I could feel this joy coming up out of the ground. It was not imagination. It wasn't a visual stimulation. It was some, the rishis have blessed this country for thousands of years, and here in northern India, it's the yoga bhumi of India. Don't waste another incarnation. You're tourists in this country, just in the time zone. You're born here for one lifetime, maybe several lifetimes. But take the blessing of this soil. People say, well, I don't know how, how you can say Indians are spiritual. Look at them. Well, it isn't Indians that are spiritual. It's India that is spiritual. And because some Indians have that, that natural attunement, they feel it more. And that's why I myself love to lecture to Indians and in India, because there is that. The real India isn't what you see when you walk down the streets of Chandni Chok. The real India is what you can feel in your heart. You know, Calcutta, one of the biggest, dirtiest, most crowded cities in the world. I don't know why I absolutely love Calcutta, but I do. Because there's so much devotion there. There's so much love. That's what the spiritual path is all about. Don't waste this incarnation. You've been born here for a very great blessing. Make the most of it. Don't laugh at what you have because it is who you really are. You can't laugh at what you really are. You can't laugh at your own real desires. So let me sing you a song, which is really, it's for laughter, yes. But it's to say, don't be sectarian. Don't have these racial prejudices. God is God in all forms. Joy to you. Oh, 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 keep a level head, boys, and preach the lighter news. Don't disappoint the gentle folk. Our church needs better pews. Jim Brown was hired to clean the church. All week he kept it fair. That Sunday with his family, he came to worship there. That Sunday with his family, he came to worship there. Oh no, poor Jim, that may not be, for then there'd be a war. Our congregation are all white, and you know what you are. Our congregation are all white, and you know what you are. Back home, Jim Brown knelt by his bed and wept till eyes grew dim. That night his room became a shrine, for Jesus came to him. That night his room became a shrine, for Jesus came to him. He said, my child, don't feel so sad, for twenty years I too have tried to enter that very church with no more luck than you have tried to enter that very church with no more luck than you. Oh, keep a level head, boys, and preach the lighter news. Don't disappoint the gentle folk. 
Our church needs better pews.